comes to school, this is um, when it comes to school uniforms, one of the tricks is to get your kids' uniforms that are too big for them. That way, they'll grow into them and they'll last longer, and you won't have to buy them again. You don't seem impressed. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I guess the, the important thing about the kids, right, is that they're in school. That's the big puzzle piece. They're there, they're, they're, they're part of it. That's the big piece. Um, and they will, over time, they'll grow into their uniforms, and I will delight to watch them as they fill them out. That'll be a joy. Um, but why start there? Um, not just to brag, but um, because it's actually, this is a bit like being a Christian. When you turn from idols to serve the living and true God, you are saved. Your spot is secure. You are safe in Christ. And what happens next for the Christian for, is, is a lifelong process of growing into our uniform. It can be a hard process at times, but also a, joy, a joyous one and an eternally worthwhile one. And that's important as we look at Thessalonians. Um, I've got a a clumsy summary for you up here of what we've looked so far. In chapter 1, Paul says to Thessalonians, Praise God, you trust the gospel. You've turned from idols to serve the living and true God and you wait for Jesus to return. He knows that they trust in Christ and that's so, so important. Chapter 2, he kind of explains how it happened. You trusted the gospel because it came to you genuinely. That is, he didn't hide it and sneak it in with flattery. It came through the word of God, clearly preached, and with a life shared genuinely with them. And then in chapter 3, we see Timothy's report um, back to Paul, which says, actually, the trust in the gospel has meant that the Thessalonians are concerned for each other, they encourage each other, they pray for each other, they stand fast through adversity. And now when we get to chapter Paul, Paul says, now keep living to please God more and more. And that order is important, I think, um, They've got the gospel, the uniform's theirs. Now he urges them to live to please God, to grow into it. Um, In growth groups, we've been looking at sharing our faith, and you'll have noticed the first week um, isn't tell people to be better, but it's about grace. It's by grace we have been saved. It's a gift from God, just like Declan helped us to see so wonderfully in the kids' spot. It's not by our own works. We can never reach God. It's God's work. We then saw that we pray. However, following Jesus, it does bring change, doesn't it? It transforms our whole lives, actually, not in minor ways, but huge ways. It covers the whole, it changes how we view everything. Um, An example of this, just last week, about, I think, 70 people came to church to listen to the Barefoot Disciple talk about money. He was helping people to think um, about how to invest money for the kingdom um, and people came because we see as a Christian, even how you, how you view money is different, everything changes. Romans 6 conveys this really well. Um, Paul says, you've, you've, you've been saved, so should we continue to live as you did, to live in sin so that grace may abound? He says, no, not true. If you have died to sin, which if you trust in Christ, you have, um, then you can't keep living in it. I'm starting here for a reason. This passage in Thessalonians, Paul is instructive about what living as a Christian looks like. It's so good that he does. Boy, we need it. Um, Paul is not going um, rogue here. He says throughout that his instructions are Jesus' own instructions. He says at the start, um, 
We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And it means a couple of things for us as we turn to it. Firstly, um, his audience is those who have accepted the gospel. Um, Don't leave here thinking we need to do this to be saved, but I want to do this because God has saved us and we should do this because of what it means to be saved. And this is um, also, secondly, a, a part of scripture that clashes with what our culture values and I think it's important to say that because it it means um, part of what we read our culture might like, like the bit at the end where the mind your own business Um, but others it certainly won't like the teachings here about sex and work. Um, The follower of Jesus doesn't pick and choose, all needs to be applied carefully and understanding that because it is a spot that's so markedly different um, there will be drift towards that unless we keep coming back to God and the Bible on this there is a pull in the passage um, heading I think it's really excellent as it gives the why live to please God and it's a big why again it's the why of all Christian behavior and what is outlined in here is couched in terms of calling and purpose and it's that big verse 3 it's God's will to live this way verse 7 God calls us to do these things things Um, those in Christ live to please God Uh, what we read from here Paul is ways to do that they're clear they're practical with that in mind let's see what it looks like Um, and firstly Paul says that God calls us to love not lust verse 3 it's God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. To be clear, um, the Bible teaches that any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality. It might be physical, it might also be visual or mental or virtual. And it's a warning for those who are married just as much as for those who aren't. Paul doesn't hone your note specifically on any one aspect of this. It's, it's a broad category. He says, avoid it all, abstain from it. Um, often when you're preparing to preach a sermon, there's a lot of um, context work, looking at what the writer's purpose is in writing to their original audience and then seeing how that um, translates. But uh, as I read through the commentaries, they all said a similar thing. Um, this was the same problem then and it's the same problem now. And in a similar context too. For one, the human heart hasn't changed. And for another, the ancient Roman Empire, where this was written to the Thessalonians, had a a low and a loose view of sex. Uh, It was a sex-saturated culture, or in other words, pretty similar to ours. Uh, Journalist Pamela Paul wrote a book, uh, and her goal was to show just how pornified our culture has become. And She's got to start saying, um, look, porn is accessible and it's seemingly anonymous. But as she builds her argument, she goes, it's more than that. Our values, our aesthetics, our standards have all been warped by it, only accelerated through technology. And so I guess what I want to say is um, this is something we don't just need to not seek out, but actively avoid. Um, Sexual immorality is not limited to porn, sex outside of marriage, same-sex marriage, all of it sits there. It's not limited by age. Stacey told me Peter Adam once said of sin and temptation that it 
won't be a problem when I've been in my grave for a week. And, but Paul doesn't focus on the what because he's concerned with the, with the why. That's what we need to hear. He says it comes down to two things. Firstly, um, it's a sin against others. See in verse 6, um, and in this matter, no one should wrong and take advantage of a brother or sister. That's a big change in and of itself, isn't it? We are taught and told to think about um, sex and everything related to sex individually. Uh, it's about us and no one else. No one can speak to it. Um, it's about self-expression. It's about having our needs. Man, everyone else can mind their own business. But that's not what the Bible says, and it's not true. There are strong horizontal implications. Um, sexual immorality, sure, it damages yourself, but it damages others as well. Um, pornography rewires your brain, but it also damages your relationships with others. It distorts how you view others. It's an industry that functions through exploitation. Um, we can't forget that those who are most exploited are women and children. And it's the, I think, the objectification and exploitation that leads to things like what happened at St Andrew's School. Um, sexual immorality, it um, robs your spouse or your future spouse. It's not, it's not victimless. It's not as hidden as we think. Um, because it's really, it's about lust and not love at all. Back in chapter 3, Timothy reported to Paul about the Thessalonians' love for each other and others. He comes back to it in verse 9 in chapter 4. He praises them for how their love is abounding and that's where this bit comes catched in the middle of. Um, Paul is reminding them that sexual immorality, it's the opposite of love. It will hinder and stop it. Secondly, um, he says it's a sin against God. In verse 8, Therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God. Uh, This is Paul I think really waking people up, he's, he's clapping his hands here. If you're thinking, yeah, I, I, I get it, but really nobody, nobody knows. Um, that's not quite right. Um, it's not just a sin against others, but God. Uh, someone from 8am um, told me after the service, they remember Simon Manchester speaking on something similar, and he said, I'll tell you the best place to sin, it's where God can't see you. You get his point. Um, there's a, there's a gravity here. To reject the teaching is to reject God. Uh, and, and 1 Corinthians 6, which talks about this similarly, uh, tells us that contrary, the opposite of everything that we hear, our bodies are not our own. They are God's. He made us. He bought us at a high price. And so it's no surprise, I think, when we get to verse 6 that we read, God will judge. We're made in God's... Oh, sorry, not verse 6. Um, verse... My verses are off today. Verse 6, it is verse 6. I was wrong. Anyway, um, it's not surprising that God will judge. Um, We're made in God's image. God loves others so much. He sent Jesus to die for them. Um, It's not surprising that God's angry when we wrong each other. So he calls us to flee. Um, But John Stott writes of these commands that we need to remember not just to obey them, but that they are good. This is what Paul does. He's commending all throughout this section of Thessalonians that the church's love for each other, these commands, they're good. 
Um, God is the author of life. He loves us. He knows what is best. What we read is not unnecessary burdens, but they show us the, the good life. They will lead to better and more fulfilling relationships with each other and with God. As our culture removes sexual boundaries in the name of love, the result is it's becoming more selfish and less loving. Uh, And I heard someone say once, I can't remember where, that Christians will always clash with our culture about this because Christians have both a higher and a lower view of sex. What they meant was this. Christians think more highly of sex than our culture does. It's not just recreation. It's not just for any two consenting people, not a big deal. What are we focused on it for? No, it's a wonderful gift to be enjoyed in its proper context. In marriage, for enjoyment, companionship, procreation, in a, in a context that is safe and honouring, Christians have a high view of what sex is. It's a good gift from God. But Christians also have a lower view as well. Um, it's not ultimate. Sex is not our major defining thing. Our identity is not wrapped up in it. It's not the lens through which we view things. Not everything revolves around it. We know it ultimately does not satisfy. This idea that um, you haven't lived until you've had... It's not quite right. Um, Jesus was the most whole and complete man and he was celibate. Um, Verse 10, which really holds this section together, gives the positive reason for the command again. It's not to restrict love, but so love abounds. This passage drives us back to the two great commandments to remind us of what love is. Love God and love each other. Um, And if you're not struggling with this at the moment, praise God for that. Um, A story was relayed to me about a young man who asked an older man, how did you beat sexual temptation? He was a godly and wise man and he was asked, how did you do it? How did you beat temptation? And the older man's response was a bit surprising. He said, by never thinking I've beaten it. He knew his own heart. And like Paul commends here, we are urged to keep on striving for godliness. I mean, if you are struggling, God does not convict us to leave us in guilt and shame. He delights it in when we turn back to him. Christ's atoning death was enough to wipe away each and every sin. When we repent, Jesus doesn't reluctantly say, oh, okay, I guess I have to. No, he's filled with joy. He says, welcome back. He says, you've come to the right place, to the only place. Turn back and run to God, not away from him. Um, and, and act to cut it off, put measures in place, confess with who you need to, repent, seek practical help and don't, don't put that off. Um, secondly, God calls us to service, um, not selfishness. Living to please God reshapes everything and it reshapes how we think about um, um, the rest of our lives as well. In 11 and 12 it says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you. Um, Is Paul here calling us to be tradies, work with your hands? Uh, No, he's not, which is just as well, you do not want me building your house. Um, Just as this is not a passage commending everyone to live the quiet life, which is to retreat from society, become a hermit, not bother anyone. No, no, it's none of those things. If we think about it like that, the passage doesn't make any sense. Um, Verse 11 will seem like an oxymoron. 
Uh, make it your ambition to have no ambition. doesn't quite work. And there's another one after that, which, um, which is to stay out of the way of others for the sake of others. doesn't quite work. Um, at staff meeting, um, we were talking about this passage on Monday, and the question was asked, yeah, how does this... Um, how does this affect us? How does we read this passage? How does it speak to us? And the response came back too quickly. Mind your own business. Um, that's not what was happening here. And we come again to the principle of love. Paul is instructing followers of Jesus um, to not be idle. Paul's logic is that work is an act of love and to deliberately give that up is to be not loving. Um, if you can work and you choose not to, it will be a burden. And this is not a comment on those, I want to be really clear about this, who, who want to work but can't find employment. That's, that's not, not about that. It's not about those who, for any number of reasons, are unable to work. Of course not. It's for those who can but choose not to. And the, the two positive reasons there are because in doing this, we win the respect of outsiders. It, it points us outwards as well as inwards. We won't be dependent or a burden and it will... Just like as the gospel came in 1 Thessalonians 2, commend the gospel. Um, Martin Luther said that while God doesn't need our good works, our neighbour certainly does. And the, the purpose of work is to love and serve. Um, Luther went on, the farmer tills the ground to provide food for his neighbour, um, the builder likewise, the teacher, the mother, the IT support person. Just seeing if anyone was awake. Luther didn't say the IT support person one. I snuck that in. But you get the gist. All provide and serve others. It can't be separated from the two great commands to love God and love each other. And it means that even the most menial seeming task becomes important. Um, Whatever it is that you, you do, wherever it is, it's transformed when we see it in that light. Um. This is kind of what Paul does in chapter 2, isn't it? His genuine faith meant he worked to support himself and it meant he didn't retreat um, from the Thessalonians. He cared for them like a father and mother. The quiet life he talks of is not a silent one, but he's quiet in the sense of not being disruptive or a troublemaker. Paul, is, again, he's not advocating hold people at arm's length. Don't get, yes, he's saying don't be a gossip and a busybody. Busy he's saying care genuinely Um, and with these principles at play um, there are opportunities to love others and please God beyond just what we get paid to do this can be done when you're retired housebound when a student a parent young old you can do it with your discretionary time Um, and I think this is just as countercultural as the teaching on sex in that regard isn't it Um, where our culture says work is where you find your purpose and value And so you work now for the sake of yourself later so you can retire, enjoy the good life. Um, Well, God says no matter where you are or what you're doing, what stage of life, you can wake up each morning knowing God's not done with you. You can live to please God. You can serve others. Um, And when we are ruled by love, not lust, and by service, not selfishness, it will captivate others and show the gospel to be true. Well, we'll we'll end where Paul begins. That seems right, doesn't it? And at the beginning, um, how Paul begins the chapter is so good. He encourages the Thessalonians uh, and says, you are living to please God. Those who are in Christ can please God. It's wonderful news. In Jesus, he urges them, do so more and more. 
and that's so helpful because we tend to think that we've got it all, one of two things, either to think that we've got it all sorted now, with, with, so we get complacent, we're pretty close to, to holy, we're as good as it gets, no need, or we think the other way, I'm not good enough, so we try to be better for Christ to accept us. And I think we can kind of flip-flop between these two at different times or on different issues, can't we? Uh, got it all together or I need to do better so God will accept me. Neither of those is right. Jesus, um, Paul is saying you are safe in Christ. Live to please God. Urge to do so more and more. The purpose is to please God. The principles are love and service and the plea is to do so more and more. Um, let's close by praying. I think what Paul prays for the Thessalonians at the end of chapter 3 I think it captures what we see in this chapter. Um, I'll, I'll lead us. Lord, make our love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in your presence when Christ returns. Amen.